reading in uh, the, the devotional book that we're doing with the church. And um, it, it said something about uh, the poisoned well, something, you know, along those lines. And one of my kids pipes up, uh, what well is that? And I just, without even thinking, I said, no well. And we kind of burst out laughing pretty good. Um, no well, it's a Christmas book. So it even comes out at Christmas time. It was unintended, I promise. All right, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 this morning. Let's read this passage. I don't know exactly why the Lord directed me to this uh, message this morning. It's not a Christmas message. Uh, I was thinking, I got to, you know, I want to preach something along the lines of Christmas, but um, this is a burden that I've had for a, a long time and a burden that I have just had amplified to me over the last few weeks. And so I'm going to preach this message this morning. Let's read 1 Kings 2, verses 1 through 4. The days, now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And by the way, I don't always preach Old Testament. <laughs> but a lot. I do. I agree. And uh, the days drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. <clears throat> Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mightest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth, With all their heart, with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. I want to preach this morning on this topic, manly men, manly men. It's not Christmas, is it? (laughs) Not a Christmas message. Let's pray and we'll get into this today. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to uh, take these things to heart. Lord, all these young men that are in here today, I pray that you would give them uh, something within their heart, that a, a strong desire to be a godly, biblical, manly man for themselves, for their family, for their future family. Lord, I pray for our young ladies in here that uh, uh, they would realize the importance of marrying someday a godly biblical, manly man. And I pray that you'd help us to take these things to heart today, be able to be challenged from it today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's no, no question that our American society is in huge, huge turmoil. Men are mocked and relegated to a role <clears throat> of stupidity. Manly men are portrayed as rednecks, or uh, chest-beating members of the monkey species. Men fill the prisons of America. Men flee the responsibility of becoming a husband, a father, a provider, a protector, a lover of their family. In America in 2017, over 40% of babies that were born were born out of wedlock. 40%, and among certain people groups in America, the percentage is 
extremely much higher than that. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. You get that? 90%. Almost all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who the world claims have behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, 70% come from fatherless homes. Suicides among young people, vast majority of them come from fatherless homes. Homes where the men have not taken the responsibility for that home, for that family. I, I remember being in your shoes thinking, oh, I'd be wonderful things someday to, to have a home, to have my own family. You know, so as early days after you're married, you like to pop out those words, my wife. And then you have children, you say, my children. And then after they grow up a little bit older, you say, her children. <laughs> Uh, things change a little. I'm teasing about that. I don't say that. But um, uh, they, they do, uh, th- there's that pride, that possession of my family. And, and that's normal. That's a good thing. I hope all of you young men look forward to saying that someday. Here, David is an old king. He's about to die. And his final words recorded to his son Solomon are these, I go the way of all the earth, be thou strong therefore, and show thyself a man. Show thyself as a man. And so obviously in David's mind, he had a picture, he had a standard of what he considered to be a man. Right? I mean, he doesn't go through a whole list of things like I'm going to do a number of things today and Say, okay, what does the Bible teach in general about men that are manly? He doesn't do that here. He just says, Solomon, be strong and show thyself a man. Be manly. Now, we know that David was manly, right? He was ruddy. The Bible says he was of a beautiful countenance. Now, beautiful is in the eye of the beholder. I get that, right? Um, If I said that a young man is beautiful in today's language, that would seem kind of weird. But by their standard of what made a young man attractive was what David was. He was ruddy. He was reddish and sunburned. He was rough and tough. He wasn't smooth-fingered and smooth-handed. He was a man's man at the age of... As a teenager, at the age of a young man, he was already a man's man. And just later in that chapter, it says he was a valiant man. He wasn't a fake strong man like so many today are. He was a real strong man. Why are men so confused today? Isn't it sad? I just, I just can't believe what we've come to in American society where, where men, boys, who should grow up to be the future of this country, literally don't know their own identity. Right. That, that's just sad to me. That's heartbreaking. It shows where our, our, our country is going in the next couple of generations. In your generation, when you grow older and you have that next generation, I, I can't imagine unless we see great revival, it's going to be even worse. The feminist movement, I think, has a huge 
part in this, as far as uh, taking the blame for this. During the, the Bill Clinton administration, there was a Duke University law professor, Madeline Morris, who advised the military to eliminate their masculinist attitudes. Eliminate the masculinist attitudes, such as dominance, assertiveness, aggressiveness, independence, self-sufficiency, and willingness to take risks. I mean, I don't know. If I was going to get a group of of points about a macho, a good, strong, godly, good man, probably almost all of those would be in that list that I consider good. And she's wanting to remove it out of our military that's supposed to be the, the, the protectors of this country, of our homeland. Well, and here we are in America where these, these things are downplayed. Manliness is downplayed. There's obviously an attempt by many in society to suppress anything that is described as manly. Manliness, of course, should, uh, should not be stifled or eliminated or intimidated. Young men, it is a good thing to be the right kind of man. Men today want to be victims. They want to blame themselves, or not themselves, they want to blame others for the way they are. Uh, my parents didn't teach me. My, my dad wasn't in the home, and of course, a lot of times that's the case. Uh, and they blame society, and they blame everybody else, but really it boils down to us, believers. It boils down to fathers being the right kind of fathers to take on this mentality. But we can't be afraid. That's really what I want to get you to understand. Is we can't be afraid, men, to be manly, to be the right kind of man. You'll get accused of a lot of different things, and don't let that keep you from being biblical. And so we're going to look at some things I believe are scriptural and biblical today. But first, before I do that, I'd like to point out some cultural attacks on biblical masculinity. And we have many of these. Our culture is very much, this, a lot of the woke culture, of course, is against masculinity. Um, I'll just mention several things here that are cultural attacks on biblical masculinity. Number one is feminism. A lot of women today are trying to force themselves into roles that were never designed by God. It's not that they aren't smart. Women are smart. They're smarter than men usually. I'm a teacher. I've had lots of ladies in my classes. Many times, they're sm it's not that they're not smart. It's not that you're not smart. But you have biblical roles, and feminism has blurred the lines of those biblical roles. Families and church leadership has been given the privilege and the God-given responsibility of teaching men and boys, not men, but boys, how to become men. Uh, teaching uh, women, teaching girls how to become adult women and ladies and so on. And I remember my sisters, you know, they had chores around the house and they had jobs to do. And then the boys, we, and this is just the way it was in our household, uh, we worked outdoors. We had the barn and we had the, the farm to do. I don't have the privilege of having that with my family today. I wish I could have a farm and all those things. Just There's a little bit of, of that that I still kind of miss, you know. But, but th there's that masculinity that, 
that we thought was normal. We thought it was normal for guys to get their hands dirty and guys to not smell the best all the time. Come in from the barn and you certainly didn't smell the best, you know. Um, I remember many times coming in from the barn and, and the ladies opening the windows and trying to get fresh air in there. Um, but, but that was just part of being, uh, doing the job that men do. They work hard. They get dirty. But feminism has taken a lot of that away. Um, another cultural attack on biblical masculinity is called uh, egalitarianism, which basically means this, that men and women are equal in all ways. They're equals. And so it's related to the other one. Of course, their genders are equal. Their responsibilities are equal. There's no distinction between men and women. Aren't you glad that uh, I believe and I don't understand people who want to blur those lines of distinction in the way we dress or in the way we carry ourselves, or the way we do things, or the way we, you know, all the things that we uh, as men should normally consider to be, I think, consider to be normal. Uh, We take care of ourselves, but we're not as obsessed. I don't mean it that way, I guess. We're not as as careful with our appearance as the ladies and the men. Uh, We don't smell the same, thank the Lord for that. Uh, We're just different. There's a distinction between men and women were different. I think the biblical position is complementarianism. The belief that men and women are created by God and complement each other. Right? Eve was brought to Adam to be a help meet for him. And uh, I, I, I won't go through the whole, the vows, you know, that we make at the weddings. But, but that's all just a part of it. We're different. But we complement one another. Another cultural attack, and I looked this up to make sure this is actually a, a word. I thought it was machoism, but it's machismo, which means the same thing. It's an exaggerated masculinity. Our, this is following what our culture says is manly. You, you've seen, uh, if you have, maybe you don't care at all about basketball, but you've seen a guy come down the court with the basketball, you know, two dribbles, Past the half-court line, if you're Giannis, he makes one dribble past the half-court line, and he's dunking it, and he comes down the lane, and he smashes it home, and he stands there, and he begins to flex. And the world says, wow, what a man that is. That's machoism or machismo. This is following what our culture says is manly. You know what? The world says a lot of things are manly that aren't manly. If you work out a lot, that in itself, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying you shouldn't work out. I think it's great to work out. But I'm saying if that's what you think is the the standard for a man, that's the worldly standard. There's somebody that loves sports, especially football. You love sports. That's the sign of a man. You know, probably if you're a man, you have to have a man cave. Right? To hide in from your family. <laughs> Don't understand that one. Hunting and fishing. Now again, good things. Cars. How many of you love cars? All right. I love horse and buggy still. <laughs> you know. I got my horse and buggy and it's got the special lights on it, you know. 
and it's a different color than black. You know, it's not just the black buggy, which is the standard buggy for the, for the Amish, but it's got some color on it as well, you know. I have a four-wheel drive truck, and it's jacked up. I'm looking at the Moody's. But the world goes beyond much beyond that. Those are fun, good things. But just because you have those things doesn't make you manly, young men. You know what the world says is manly is telling dirty jokes and locker room talk, as they like to call it. That's not manly. That's cowardice. That's hiding behind a facade of being manly that's really not. Telling dirty jokes and being crude. And, and even beyond that, I mean, I, I'm glad I didn't go to public school in high school, but I understand it's very common for them to brag about their exploits of, uh, with the opposite gender. And that's, that's the sign of a man if you're fornicating around. No, it's not. That's the worldly standard of what is machoism. And we have to watch out for that. <clears throat> Another cultural attack, and I've got to move along. Prolonged adolescence. (laughs) Do you realize our culture has made it acceptable for young people to live in their homes way beyond the years of what has been typical so that they have more time to live. And I'm sure they're living at home learning all that they can from their parents. Right? They're learning all that they can from their churches so that they can be a little bit older before they get married and before they accept responsibility. You know that's not the case. They're being babied, prolonged adolescence, boys that refuse to grow up and accept their God-given responsibilities. Our culture tells our young people they need to put off marriage as long as possible. Just live together with someone. Who needs a ring? Kids are a burden to, uh, to living the lifestyle that you, need to, to, that you want to live. Kids are a burden. Have as much fun as you can when you're young and single. When you get married, at, at the point you get married, then you can, this is a phrase I've heard in the world, you can look but you can't touch. Meaning that before you get married, you can look and touch. The whole world is messed up in this. In other words, once you've had all the fun you think you can have as a young man, you put off marriage as long as you can, then you get, finally get married and your life is over at that point. And that's absolutely not the biblical way. Man, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't wish to go back to the days of uh, less responsibility, not having a wife and children to care for. I don't miss those days at all. I'm thankful for the purpose that I have with my wife and my family. And that should be the case with young men who have a natural, young godly Christian men who have a natural desire to have a family and to have a wife and to have that responsibility. And that's not weird. You know, it's not, it's a little awkward to talk about maybe for some of you, and I get that, but that's not weird to have that. I was talking to a a young man one time who grew up here at Fairhaven, and he was in his 30s, 
not doing right, not serving the Lord. And I said, are you married? I saw him at one time. I said, hey, are you married? And he said, no, I have phobia. I have phobia of commitment. He said, I have commitment phobia. And I didn't say anything. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Commitment phobia. I hope you young men don't have commitment phobia. Prolonged adolescence. Another uh, one of the world's attacks on biblical masculinity is male chauvinism. This goes along with the machoism, but it goes a step further. It says that all women are subject to all men. And of course, that's not the case. Young women, you're subject to your parents until you get married. And, and uh, then you're subject to your husband in the right, in a godly way. All right, so there are certain things that can be considered a manly pursuit. And I understand you young men, uh, I always joke about the guys that their Christmas, over their Christmas break, they have their Christmas beard going on. And uh, those are manly pursuits. Um, I remember when I became a, a young teenager, I finally learned how to tie my tie. And that was a manly thing to do that sets you apart from women. Um, giving a proper handshake, right? Oh, can't stand shaking a fish, fish tail, you know. You can't grab that thing. It's like, ugh, sappy. Building a campfire, right? Building a campfire. Sharpening a pocket knife. Working a difficult night job. Being scrappy and being a fighter, those are, those are manly things generally to do, being tough, having uh, some ability in these manly pursuits. But biblical manliness is much more than outward manly pursuits. So what, is, what does the Bible have to say? And there's a lot of examples that we could look at. I don't have the time to really dig deep into all these examples, but I want to give you some passages. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 and you can just write this down if you like. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I put away childish things. So there's this point you reach in your life where a boy, a child, becomes a man. And that's what the Bible is saying here. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 tells us to quit ourselves or to equip ourselves like men. Be strong. Paul the Apostle says, be like a man. And so again, we see there's, there's a certain standard where you become like a man. And if you're not that, you're not, a, you're not like a man. You're acting like something else. <clears throat> Job chapter 38 Job was told this, Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. I want an answer, Job. Now be a man and face up to it. So God even speaking here says, there's a standard for a man. Be like a man. Biblical manliness is concerned, yes, with some of those outer things, and we should be manly in the way we conduct ourselves. But it's much more the inner man, the heart of man. 
being a biblical man. So what is masculinity? Webster's 1828 Dictionary says, describes it this way. And just listen to this definition. Having the qualities of a man, strong, robust, as a masculine body. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, I don't like his politics, but I like his manliness. He was sickly all growing up. And all of a sudden, he said, I'm going to do something about this. And he turned his, himself into a manly man, had a manly body. He, he took that serious. Another definition from Webster's 1820 Dictionary. It says, resembling man, coarse. That doesn't mean crude. That means rough, rough. My, my dad was an outdoorsman all his life, still is. Rough hands. He always had rough hands. I'm always embarrassed of my hands because I don't have rough hands. Coarse. Opposed to delicate or soft as masculine features. Men aren't made to be soft. Manly men are coarse. Not crude, coarse. Rough and tough. Bold, brave as a masculine spirit or courage. Bold, brave. One definition I read from a, a, a good book that I have says, True masculinity is the humble, glad assumption of God-given responsibility. The humble, glad assumption, it's taking this responsibility, the humble, glad assumption of God-given responsibility. So when a young man gets married, they gladly take on the responsibility of that new home that they're founding. They're happy, but they realize the responsibility that comes with that. You remember what it was like? Some of you have a car. Remember when, he, when you got your first new car? woo you were excited. Teenagers, just wait. It'll come. Humble? Uh, I don't know about humble. But glad? Oh, yeah, let's see what this car will do. Right? Some of you, I hope you didn't have that attitude too much. But glad of that new responsibility. Well, transfer that to a man who becomes an adult. I don't want, I keep wanting to get ahead of myself here and I won't. So, glad assumption of God-given responsibility. God ordains and describes the roles of a man and a woman. And he describes the job requirements that are attached to those roles. Men leaders of homes, men leading their family, wife subject unto the husband as a help meet for that home, for that husband. Men humbly and gladly accept these roles and requirements and walk in them by God's grace. Masculinity and authority flow to those who accept responsibility and they flee from those who shirk responsibility. Man, take responsibility in a humble but a glad way. That's masculinity. Now, let me give you some things that men are. Men, and this is just a lot of kind of variety of things here as, I, as we wind down. Men are cultivators and workers. Men are cultivators and workers. If you want to describe a man, describe him in Genesis 1, 28, the first job, the first responsibility that God gave to a man was to plow the garden, or to take, not plow the garden, but to care for the garden. 
And then he was working the ground, plowing the ground in chapter 2 and in uh, verse 5 and in 15. God has made us to care for things and to take care of things and to build things and to grow things. If you don't have that desire within you, you're missing something. You're missing out. Maybe your desire is to build the next kingdom of your gaming system. Okay, there's a problem there. Men are cultivators and workers. It's inherent within us to be stronger or faster or competitive. and, And we want to do things better and more efficiently. That's by design. God made us that way. We're workers. Adam didn't work because he was cursed. He worked before he was cursed. The work just became more difficult after he was cursed. He had to work and work just to have enough to survive on. Work is not a product of the fall. Work is not a part of the curse. Work is a wonderful season, a time where you get to accomplish things. I can't wait for Christmas vacation, as it were. One of the things I want to do is put some days into working on things in my house that need done desperately. That's a part of it. Men not only are workers and cultivators, they're initiators and leaders. Joshua 24, 15. Joshua didn't go to his wife, whose name we do not know, and say, ma'am, what do you think we should do with our household? He didn't do that, did he? He said, as for me and my house, he spoke for his house. Men, I know you can't, young men, you can't do that necessarily because you don't have your own house, most of you. You don't have a family yet. But guess what? You will have someday. You better practice the right kind of godly leadership. Work with your, your parents and say, Dad, I want to I make some things happen myself. I want to sh- have some uh, responsibility. I'm sure good parents, they give you those responsibilities. And the more you work at those, the more responsibility you'll get. Leaders and initiators aren't waiting to see what everyone else does. They're not putting their wet finger in the air to see which way the wind is blowing. But they're doing what is right, taking responsibility. Leaders, initiators, I've heard of young men putting out the feelers, the word, to find out if a young lady that they're interested in would say yes or not. That's not leading. Men take initiative. If they're interested, you're interested. (laughs) Men have tempered strength. Men have tempered strength. Self-control, the Bible calls it, right? Proverbs 16.32, a man who uh, holds his tongue, he has tempered strength. Man, do you have self-control? One of the hardest things to do, I'm convinced as a young man, is to always exercise self-control. One of the hardest things to do. A man who can control his own spirit is stronger than he that can take a city. You control, according to God's word, you control your mouth. You control your thoughts. You control your actions. According to God's word, men have tempered strength. Men are risk takers. I don't mean crazy risk takers, but risk takers. Men say, I'm going to 
put my neck on the line. I'm going to do what's right, even if it costs me. Men are risk takers, not gamers. Think about the whole video game mentality. If you mess up in a video game, what do you have to do? You just start over. But life isn't that way, is it? It's not that way. You mess up, there's consequences. I mean, real consequences. I was, I was uh, talking with a lady on Saturday, and she said, Yeah, my son, he was just sitting in his house, and somebody came in the house and blew his head off. That's what she said to me. Not real recently, but somewhat recently. Now, I didn't want to say too much, but as I'm sitting there saying, okay, why does that happen? Before they joined that gang, they should have asked themselves, is this a risk that I'm worth taking, or that I feel is worth taking? Before they carried a gun around with them, they should have asked themselves, is this worth it? Because I'm a target if I carry a gun. And I don't know what else the man had done before that. But my point is simply, men are risk takers. And sometimes we don't think about what the consequences are. You better think about those consequences. They're instant. They're sudden. They're real. Men are risk takers. Men are strong and tough. I've already talked about this, but David was called beautiful to look upon. Why? Because he was rough looking by their standard of what a young man was supposed to look like. He was beautiful. Men want to be like men. If you're still there in 1 Kings chapter 2, again, I'm almost out of time here, but in verse number 4, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their ways. David said, Solomon, I want you to be strong like a man so that you can pass that on to your children. Do you realize that men want to be like men? I know that's real deep, isn't it? Men want to be like men. There's just something within a young man who says, Hey, I want to be like a man that I respect. There's that natural draw. I remember very much, maybe I still have some of it, but I remember as a kid saying, you know, certain people that I respected, especially men, I said, man, I want to be like that someday. But there was just this desire as a young man, say, you know, there's, there's uh, our neighbor, for example, um, he, uh, he was uh, handicapped. He had polio, uh, Pastor Glenn Yoder. And I remember specifically, he was my teacher in second and third grade, first and second grade. And I said, man, if I ever can, I want to learn as much as that man has learned. I wanted to learn. And he was so smart. He just read all the time. And he put that within all of us uh, kids that were in the school. And on and on, there was my dad. I certainly, there was, you know, there's something about it, certain things, maybe some of us anyway. Um, My dad that I, as a teenager, that I kind of had a bitter attitude about. But looking back on it now, man, I'm so glad. Overall, I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to have the, the strengths that he had. I respected the things that he stood for. And the things that he didn't allow to happen in our family. I respected that. Man, he'd put the foot down sometimes, and right at the moment, I didn't like it. (laughs) Uh, One time, somebody gave us some 
clothes, and this will totally date me here, but uh, they gave us a bunch of stonewashed jeans. And everybody had stonewashed jeans. I mean, that's just the thing you wore. If you're a man, you wore stonewashed jeans. If you're a cool guy, especially. And uh, so we were having a youth activity, and uh, these clothes, these pants fit me perfectly. And uh, so I put them on. I come walking out there and ready to go to the youth activity. And Dad said, what are those? Somebody gave me these. They're really nice. They said they're very expensive. Uh, You're not wearing those to the youth activity. Oh, it was just some dumb stonewashed jeans. You know, looking back, it was pretty dumb, to be honest with you. I didn't need them. I didn't, whatever. Of course, the style's been gone for a long, long time. Some of y'all need to figure that. No, I'm kidding. Um, Man, those, those things were long gone. But my dad, I respected that. I, I admired that. Men, young boys, it's your goal to become a man someday. And you know how you do that? You watch men. You watch men. You learn from men. You talk to men. You spend time with men. We got men in our church. You probably have a good man for a dad. Talk to him about manliness. Look, you talk to everybody else about the things you're interested in. You talk about sports. You talk about, uh, you know, whatever, how to become a better video gamer. Why don't you talk about serious things that actually matter to people? Take an interest in manliness. Uh, what did I do with it? I have a book here. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly, Dr. Bob Kelly, Be a Real Man. Just a short little thing, great little book. Being a godly man, and of course it reads like he preached, machine gun style. Um, just always looking for more on manliness. Why don't you take an interest in manliness, young men? Men, are, men want to be like men. Biblical men are godly men. Godly men put an interest in private prayer. Godly men have an interest in family worship. I remember when, I, when we started having kids, and I remember thinking, oh, what are we going to do for family devotions? I mean, am I going to be able to do this? Am I, am I accomplished enough in the Bible to be able to read the Bible to my kids? And then you find out, you know, it's not that complicated. You just do it. And then you're finding more things, and now... You know, now it's just a part of life every day. But, but it's finding things to read. And a lot of times we just read scripture, but other times we add books and things to it. Family worship, that's manly thing, a manly thing to do. Bible study, loving good things. I, I saw this. Titus chapter 1 is the, the qualifications for a pastor, which the pastor is a man, and he's a qualified godly man, And he's a leader. And what does the Bible say about this example in the church? The pastor. Pastoral qualification includes loving hospitality and good men. He's a lover of hospitality. He loves good men. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being friendly and hospitable. A man is hospitable. A crude person who calls himself a man... He's not being hospitable. He's not being a godly man. Biblical men are godly men. Young men, don't sit around and blame others for your lack of training in this area. If there's a need from something you heard today, 
Work on it. Read some books on it. Uh, talk to some men on this uh, type of a subject. Find some training. Follow the examples of godly men around you. Read good books. Listen to good sermons. Do something about it so you can stop this cycle of unmanliness. Young men, you want to grow to be a young man. Young ladies, you want to marry a good, godly, masculine man someday. You want to marry that kind of a man, a man that will put his family uh, before the Lord, like Job did his family before the Lord every day. Taking responsibility, right? Isn't that what Job was doing? He's taking the responsibility in a humble but in a glad way. This is my God-given responsibility. So here's my challenge, young men, directing you towards that. None of us are the man we should be, but we should be the man that God is leading us to be. We should be growing into this area of being godly young men. And I hope that you'll take this very serious. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for these examples from Scripture of good men. Lord, thank you that we have uh, your word and we have many examples who are a challenge and a help to us in this area of manliness. Lord, it's sad when I see young men who are so caught up in child's play, so caught up in gaming and playing instead of working instead of training themselves to be responsible young men. And I pray that you'd help us to take this seriously today. I pray that you work all these things into our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's all stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed.